name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake. He forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow, strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness, I set your trusting grief before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you Let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well being of the Church of God. And for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the 
for this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise. Let us pray to the Lord. and defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. This is the feast of victory for our God. Sunday after Pentecost is from the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Our epistle, uh, epistle reading today is St. Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own free will. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. 
according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Together we confess our Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten of being, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text is from the Holy Gospel today, the 14th chapter of St. Luke, these words of our Lord. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is our text. Martin Luther once said, A religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing, that suffers nothing, is a religion that's worth nothing. And Luther was right. He was simply repeating and echoing what our Lord Jesus makes so clear in the Gospel reading for today. Words that need to be understood in their setting. What was the setting that took place as Jesus announced these words that we just heard? Jesus and some of his disciples were getting into a boat. They were about to cross over the lake. And just before they do, Jesus addresses this great crowd that had gathered about him, a large crowd. And it was a mixed crowd. It was a crowd of people, many of them who were there just to see who this Jesus was and hoping that he might perform one of the many miracles that he was known for performing. That they might be able to see for themselves some miraculous event take place and transpire. That was one group in this large mixed crowd that was there. But there was another group as well. A group of men who were determined that they were going to find a rabbi that they might follow. Because that's the way it would work back then. You would seek out a rabbi to follow if you were interested in becoming a rabbi in time yourself. You see, that's the way that, that rabbinical training would take place back then. You would, first of all, as a young boy, attend the school of Torah where you would learn the Torah, the first five books of Moses for the younger years of your life. And then after that, you would go to a rabbinical college of sorts. And following your training in that rabbinical college, you would then proceed to look for a rabbi that you could follow. And so to be sure, some of the people that were there that day in that large mixed crowds weren't there simply to see miracles. Perhaps they'd seen them, but they were there instead looking for a rabbi that they might follow, sort of to feel Jesus out, to see if he's the type of rabbi that they would like to follow after. But Jesus the rabbi, as they would soon discover, is not like other rabbis. Because Jesus is a rabbi who chooses his disciples, his disciples don't choose him. Jesus chooses his disciples. In fact, picking up on that distinguishing difference, Jesus would later remind his disciples in the Gospel of St. John, he would say, you did not choose me, I chose you. A truth well worth remembering, especially in our own day when there are so many who would call themselves disciples of Christ and attribute it to their own choosing him. Whereas indeed, none of us are disciples of the Lord unless he first has chosen us to be his own. And secondly, Jesus was not like other disciples in his day in that he didn't want followers to come after him just for the sake of having followers come after him, of having large numbers of people there. He wasn't interested in numbers, as so many in our day are. To be sure, he desired all to be saved. He had come to give his life for the sake of the whole world, for every sinner who has ever lived and ever would occupy space on planet Earth. 
He was interested in the salvation of all. He indeed would give himself for the salvation of all, but he's still not in the numbers game. To paraphrase the great 20th century Lutheran theologian, Hermann Sasse, he says, our Lord's predilection for small flocks is evident in that he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, not where two or three million are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. No, his disciples, though they be few, and indeed they would be because there were many of those early disciples who then left Christ and turned away from him. And Jesus even turns to the few who would stay with him and say, would you depart from me? Would you leave me too? They were a few. But those that remained with him would be the few who were sincere. They will, by his grace, be those who have counted the cost of discipleship, the personal cost that may well be required of them, because they bear his name. In a world that is increasingly hostile to it, they count that cost and they are still with him. His people will be those in whom his Holy Spirit, through his word and through his sacraments, has created a lasting and holding faith to him, sustained that faith, saying, I am Christ's and he is mine and nothing is going to separate us from each other, men and women and children who aren't looking for the easy way out. But those who are prepared to sacrifice anything and everything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and women of whom Jesus says in today's gospel, they will bear their own cross and they will come after me. The image Jesus uses, you see, is that of a cross-bearer. Reminds me of a man who said that he called a certain hymn that used to be sung in church when he was a child. It was a hymn about the cross I bear. And he always thought they were talking about a cross-eyed bear. And he said, I hope if I ever get stuck in the woods that I'll run into a cross-eyed bear so that he doesn't see me so well. That's not what we're talking about, and there are people today that confuse it as much when we hear about bearing our crosses. It's not bearing the simple little irritants in life that we might experience. It's not the, the headaches that we have, be they migra migraines or otherwise. It's not putting up with, with backaches and all the other aches and the pains of body or the irritations of mind. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about us bearing our cross. That's not it. When Jesus talks about bearing our cross, he's talking about death. The cross, you see, was a symbol that was synonymous with death. People looked at a cross and they thought death. They didn't think little irritants that you would bear for a while and then set aside for a day or two. The cross equaled death. It was a symbol of persecution and great suffering that always and ultimately led to death. Today, because of what Christ accomplished for us on that death cross, it has for us become a, a symbol of beauty. It's become the symbol of our faith, the symbol that we love, a beautiful symbol of our salvation, of our justification. But in the text, when Jesus spoke of 
bearing a cross. The people then heard the word cross and they thought skull and crossbones. They thought death. More like the electric chair in our day or a lethal injection syringe. Not something that you'd simply admire as a, a piece of jewelry that you might wear as is done in our day. Not something about which you'd go up to somebody and you'd say, oh, I love that miniature electric chair that's hanging about your neck. Where could I get one of those? Or what a beautiful lethal injection syringe you're hanging about your neck. Where did you get that? And Jesus talked to the disciples about bearing a cross. The cross was not the benign symbol that it is in our day. Far more than a piece of harmless jewelry. The cross was the most agonizing, torturous mode of execution that was known to man. It was the noose. It was the electric chair. It was the lethal injection of his day. It was much worse in the time of Jesus when you saw someone carrying a cross. It meant one and only thing. One and only one thing. It meant that they were as good as dead. Some years ago, remember Sister Helen Pergine wrote a book entitled Dead Men Walking because you know when a prisoner movie was made about it eventually? When a prisoner is walking from his cell to the place to be executed, what is it that the other prisoners are saying? Dead man walking. Dead man walking. He's alive and he's walking, but he's as good as dead. That's an apt description of what Jesus meant when he spoke of a disciple carrying his cross. We're, we are, as his disciples, if you're going to bear the cross, we're as good as dead men walking. Not dead to Christ, but dead to the world. And that's why St. Paul said in Corinthians, and he talks about Christians as they live out their lives in this world as being dead men. In that very sense, he says that they're dead to the world in the sense that he says, I have, I have been crucified with Christ. And so it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And again, he says in Galatians that he was dead to the world. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, he said, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and with its desires. Dead to the world in the sense of St. Paul who said, far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Bearing the cross, dead to the world dead to anything and to everything that might suddenly snatch us away or subtly entice and gradually draw us away from Jesus Christ, everything and anything that might do it. And isn't that exactly what was taking place in the verses that are immediately preceding our text for today? That's indeed what was happening because they were verses about three men, three men who were ready and willing and wanting to sign up for following Jesus, but it had to be a conditional sign-up. It was sort of a conditional kind of Christianity that these three men preceding our text for today are talking about, men who were willing to follow Jesus, but only at a safe and self-serving and self-controlling distance. Remember, one man had a parcel of land that he had to examine, he said, so he has to be excused for a time from following Jesus. And a second man 
had invested in a fine new set of heavy-duty oxen, and he wanted to really give them a trial run before he would go out and follow Jesus. And a third man then who had just gotten married, he said, for this reason I cannot come. I'll come later and follow Jesus. None of these shall taste my dinner, Jesus said. None of them shall feast with me. Why? Because they had put other things as a priority in their life above the Lord Jesus Christ. Business affairs, personal affairs, which to them were all important, and they are indeed important, but not sufficient reason for rejecting Christ's invitation and call as freely given and freely offered. And then in our text, then comes the ultimate. The ultimate, what in your life means more to you than Christ, husband, wife, father, mother, children, love for your own life, greater than your love of Christ? You see, to the great crowd of would-be disciples who were listening to Jesus that day, he says, my friends, Sit down. Count the cost. Count the cost, the high cost of discipleship before you go casting your lot with me. Not that I will require any fee for you to pay to me. The world, though, the world will require a great deal of you for following me and for bearing my name. The world will require a great deal of you. It'll cause all sorts of trouble, it will cause trauma, it will threaten to rip you from your dearest treasures because of your allegiance to me. So sit down and count the cost. After all, you wouldn't build a grand tower without first sitting down and counting the cost. And if you were a king, you wouldn't send your armies out to war without first sitting down and counting the cost in doing so. Well, the cost of following me, because of the world which requires it of you, is great. It's even greater than these things. You see, following Christ is much more than simply being on the, the Sunday sidelines, cheering him on and his team on the field on, and then for seven or the other six days of the week going off and doing other things, discipleship involves all of God's people being on the gridiron in whatever positions their vocations in life might call them to be from day to day, putting everything on the line, saying, you, Lord Jesus, mean more to me than all of this that I love dearly, but you mean more to me than all of this and to all of these, which mean even more to me than the world itself. Indeed, you mean more to me, Lord Jesus, than life itself. More to me than life itself. And so St. Matthew was thrust through with the sword in Ethiopia. More to me than life itself, Lord. And St. Mark was dragged by horses through the streets of Alexandria until he was dead. More to me than life itself, Lord. And St. Luke was hanged in Greece. More to me, Lord, than life itself, and St. Peter was crucified upside down outside of Rome, and St. Paul was beheaded outside of Rome, and James the Just was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple 
over a hundred feet, surviving the fall only then while he was on the ground to be bludgeoned to death by angry men that came with their clubs to beat him to death. Bartholomew flayed to death by the whip. St. Andrew languishing for two days on a cross in Patros, Greece. St. Thomas stabbed with a spear in India. Men of Christ. And there were indeed many women too who joined that chorus of those who confess Christ means more to me than my life itself. Women like Felicitatis, a woman of noble Roman status who raised seven sons to confess Christ with her. And all of them were cut down for their faith before her eyes. And Felicitatis herself was executed with the same sword that beheaded her last three sons. History is replete with the testimony of men and women who counted the great cost of discipleship and were ready to pay the ultimate price that the world would demand of them. These were those of whom the writer of Hebrews speaks when he writes at the end of that great faith chapter, chapter 11, and he says, these were those men and women of whom the world was not even worthy. Men and women who chose death to the world because they would not concede the life of Christ which had been freely given to them by him. And after all, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Christ, who becomes our life by first becoming our death for us, Christ who became our perfection by first becoming our sin for us. Christ who for your life gave up his intimate fellowship with the Father for the God-forsaken loneliness of the cross. Christ the author of life who laid down his life for us all. Christ who as the apostle puts it, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor that in his poverty you might be made eternally rich, the sinless for the sinful, the faithful for the faithless, the righteous for the unrighteous. His life given to you freely in exchange for your death, that someday the crosses placed upon us by the world may be exchanged for the crowns that will be placed upon our baptismally washed heads by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what moved, and that's what motivated the disciples throughout the ages to do what God in our Old Testament lesson today said the faithful of God would do. Hold fast to him, he says. Hold fast to him, for he is your life, and he is your length of days. And though saints of old did, their faith was tried, and it was found by God's grace to be true. It was found to be sincere. Do you remember what the word sincere means, where the word sincere comes from? I think I shared it with you some time ago. Etymologically, the word sincere actually comes from ancient Rome. 2,000 years ago in Rome, there was a large demand for statues, for houses, and for the gardens of the rich, and those statues most in demand were statues of the rich themselves, because marble statues of their images, of 
of husbands and wives and their children were made and they were put in their gardens and in their homes and all over the place, not just one in a household, but often many, depending upon the wealth of the household. As a result of the demand, the availability of good quality marble to make these statues began to dwindle and statues took hours to make. A mistake with a chisel could be very costly to them and so instead of starting over again, many times what the artisans would do is they would disguise the defects that they would make in the statues that they would chisel by putting in a certain wax over the mar, over the mark, over the mistake to disguise the defects. Sometimes they do that even to disguise defects in lower grade marble with a kind of a wax polish that they would put over the whole thing. In the sculptor's shop, the eye of the non-sculptor was usually unable to see these flaws and this lack of quality, but weeks or months later in the warmth of the house, or after repeated exposure to sunshine or rain, the wax would melt or it would wear away, and then the underlying defect was glaring and it was obvious and thus signed certificates of authenticity guaranteeing that the statues were indeed solid marble, the real thing, that they were without wax. Interestingly, the Latin words for without wax are sine terra, S-I-N-E-C-E-R-A. Sounds like sincere, doesn't it? Sine cara. A statue that was the real thing, that was genuine, would be sine cara, without wax, sincere. God grant us his grace in Christ, because as he does, our faith in Christ, when tried by all of the fires of adversity, will prove to be sincerely his. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
having been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of God the Father, we pray in the Holy Spirit for the whole church of God in Christ, for all people according to their needs. We, rem we remember in our prayers today our brother in Christ, Dick Much, who grows daily weaker as the Lord prepares him to take him to his heavenly home. We recall the homebound members of our congregation, Marguerite Helt, Sonia Heidemann, Dorothy Latham, Ralph Chambers, as they contend daily with their limitations and their infirmities. We remember Marilyn Brewer, who was hospitalized this last week and is recovering right now in a rehabilitation center. And we recall Pastor and Barbara Bestel as gratefully they celebrate their 41st wedding anniversary. For these and others, we now pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you spared no cost in redeeming us by the life and blood of your Son. Grant that we might be enabled and prepared as Christ's disciples to forsake all that would be necessary for us to forsake and bear whatever cross be given, so that the gift of eternal life, our highest treasure, would remain. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, from whom all wisdom does come, by your word and sacraments, direct us and equip us throughout the length of our days to hold fast the faith and to hear and discern and obey your bidding, no matter the cost, that our lives lived might confess Jesus Christ and redound to your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of the church, bless those entrusted with positions of leadership in the church and receive our thanks for the good that you're pleased to accomplish through them. We thank you for that which you've accomplished in and through our synod under the leadership of your servant and outgoing synodical president, Gerald Kieschnick. We pray that you would bless the president-elect, Matthew Harrison, installed this week through your Holy Spirit, that the truth of your word would be proclaimed boldly and practiced rightly in the churches of our synod and throughout the world, so that your people may be fed upon and many more come to believe in the saving truth of Christ and him crucified. Lord, in your mercy, grant wisdom and zeal for justice to the leaders of the world, including our own elected and appointed leaders in the various branches of government. Lord, in your mercy, as it pleases you, prosper the work of all of those who engage in honest labor, and according to your will, supply to those who seek employment. As our nation marks Labor Day, create and preserve grateful hearts among us for the blessings received by honest labor everywhere, and renew within each of us a zeal to embrace and prosper in the vocations that we've been given. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Lord, bless the gravely sick, the chronically ill, those undergoing medical exams and recovering from hospitalizations that we've here named that you might grant to each of them courage and faith to face with confidence in your providence that which you've permitted them to encounter. Grant healing and supply patient endurance. Lord, in your mercy. We ask you to comfort and strengthen the grieving, uphold the depressed, be with the lonely and with your people who are in prison. We ask that you would employ our hands as you work to serve these, your people, in their needs. Lord, in your mercy. You have taught us, Heavenly Father, to grieve with those who grieve and to rejoice with those who rejoice. 
We give thanks today with all of those in our midst who celebrate anniversaries of marriage, birthdays, baptismal anniversaries, accomplishments, or other special occasions. And we ask that we might, in every circumstance, be enabled to return due thanks to you. Lord, in your mercy, receive our thanks for the Holy Supper of Christ's body and blood put before us today. May we receive it in faith unto the forgiveness of our sin and the renewing of our spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, deliver and preserve us, for to you, Father, belongs all glory and praise. With the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who out of love for his fallen creation humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death, even death upon the cross. Risen from the dead, he has freed us from eternal death and given us life everlasting. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, O God of God, Repentant joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood, as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which has no end. Graciously receive our prayers. Deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
taken Peter the body of the Lord Christ, given him to death for you for the forgiveness of all sins.
the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.